Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today we're talking about women in politics. Utah Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson has said that we need more women leaders in government, business, and our communities, but we don't need them simply as experts on women's issues. We need them because their voices are necessary to improve our state, our country, and our world. In the second half, we'll be talking with Yandere Chatwin and Nina Barnes, hosts of the Real Women Run podcast, which highlights Utah women serving in municipal and county government. In the first half, we'll be talking with Lieutenant Governor Henderson herself. Lieutenant Governor Henderson, uh, thanks for joining us. Well, it's great to be with you, Tom. Appreciate you taking the time to, to be with us. Uh, so I want to hear a little bit of your your story, and then get into um, you know talking about uh, the general topic and and uh, barriers that women face. So so with you, um, what were some of your ambitions growing up? Well, I certainly never uh, growing up had um, the ambition of going into politics or or being elected to public office. Um, mostly, I wanted to have a family. Um, I had considered teaching. Um, I, I did a lot of musical dance theater growing up. Um, but uh, but I got married really young, and I spent uh, I spent 13 years doing nothing really. I joke around. I I, I, I wiped noses and bottoms for 13 <laughs> years, um, and and I'd always been you know, interested in politics as far as just paying attention to what was going on. But other than voting, I, I never knew how to get involved and, and have a voice beyond uh, my voice at the ballot box. And so, um, you know, entering public service and getting uh, in, involved in politics, uh, that's something that, that came a little later in my life and, and uh, was certainly unexpected. So wiping noses and bottoms, you know, fairly typical, right? Uh, uh, tell me a little bit about your life uh, before you made that decision, got into politics, and, and then maybe tell me, was there a certain turning point which, which got you involved? Yeah, so I got married really young. I got married after my freshman year at BYU, and I ended up uh, dropping out of school and working two jobs to help put my husband through physical therapy school. And then we had five babies in, in eight years. Um, it was it was really busy time for me. And I always assumed that I would go back to school when my youngest started school. And around the time my youngest uh, went to preschool, I was really looking for a way to get more involved in, in my community. Um, and I didn't really know what that looked like. I, I would, would have you know wanted to get involved in politics. I didn't quite know how. And then I, I just um, you know, I, I met someone who was running for Congress. Um, he, I met Jason Chaffetz, actually. He was, he was running against uh, an incumbent congressman. He was looking for volunteers to make phone calls uh, for his campaign, and I volunteered to do that. Um, I was nervous about it. I didn't necessarily want to get on and talk to people I didn't know and get hung up on and get people yelling at me or anything, but I, I went ahead and, and did that, and, and one thing led to another. I became his political director that year. It was in 2008. I uh, became his political director, and then after he won a seat in Congress, I ended up running his political operation essentially out of my laundry room in Spanish Fork for four years before becoming elected to the Utah State Senate myself. <laughs> That's quite the picture, running it out of your laundry room. Um, so what what was that experience like? Was it, uh, I guess, the fears going in, or you know, is going to be a lot of people yelling at you? Going to be confrontational? Um, uh, hopes to make a difference, I suppose. What uh, was the experience uh, like? What you thought it would be? 
And it was nothing like I thought it would be because I, I honestly didn't know what to expect. And, and it was a, 2008 was a, a, an incredible year for me personally. Um, I learned a lot because I was volunteering, um, because the candidate I was working for couldn't afford his own, you know, paid consultants and, and, and he was just relying on volunteers. I actually ended up having the opportunity to get a lot of experience that I really wasn't qualified to get. Um, I hadn't finished college, as I mentioned at the time. Um, I, I had no political experience. Um, but one of the things, I think the biggest lesson that I learned is that um, you can learn as you go. Um, I, as a, as a freshman, there was a speaker at, at Brigham Young University my freshman year that said something that really impacted my life and has made a difference, I, I think made all the difference in my life. And, and what he said was, don't take counsel from your fears. And that message has stuck with me all of these years. Every time I encounter something that's intimidating or I, I'm afraid to do something, um, I, I remember that. And I go ahead and, and I step into the spaces that scare me. And, and that, honestly, I have learned the more you do things that, you're, that, that stretch your comfort zone, the, the bigger your comfort zone grows. And I think that is a critical message for women in particular. Um, I have noticed myself and, and a lot of other women that I, I know, um, when we don't know everything about something, we, we hesitate, we stand back, we, we, we tend to want to know uh, exactly what we're getting into and everything, you know, feel like we should know everything about something before we step into those spaces. And what I've learned is you don't have to know everything up front. You absolutely can learn as you go. And uh, men do it all, all the time. And, and I've, I've now seen other women stepping into those spaces and learning along the way. And it's really empowering to, to recognize that you don't have to stand back and let someone else do it, uh, presuming that they know more than you. Before we talk about uh, you taking your first steps into running for office, I'm curious, what when you talk to, to women maybe contemplating getting more involved in politics or even running for office, uh, what are some of the fears they express? Well, I think one of the biggest fears, honestly, is um, feeling alone. Um, there, There is perceived and real um, hostility at times toward women in office. I have felt it. I have seen it. I've certainly seen other women experience it. Now, Politics in general can be a very hostile environment, but it seems like women tend to bear the brunt of that sometimes in ways that are really personal and ugly. And and it, the women that I know that want to get in and roll up their sleeves and make a difference, they're in it for the right reasons. They they want they see problems and they want to go help solve those problems. And um, and so it it's off putting. Um, it's discouraging to get constantly asked about who's taking care of your children at home and get constantly having your motivations questioned or your uh, your voice undermined um, your abilities undermined that that it tends to be something that that happens um, quite frequently I think it's getting better the more women that we have involved in these spaces the more women we have sitting at the table in these spaces the better it gets um, but it is still a challenge and something that's to, to overcome, and I think something that makes uh, some women, you know, question whether or not they really want to get in involved in in politics and in public service. Mm. Well, I'm curious, what do you tell them? Of course, you know, they express their fears, and you uh, obviously encourage them, right? Don't take counsel from your fears. Well, on the positive side, what what do you tell them uh, about uh, you know the positive reasons for running? Well, their voices and their perspective are absolutely needed. 
Um, and that's what I tell them. Um, when I was elected to the Utah State Senate in 2012, I doubled the number of Republican women in the Utah Senate. We went from one mm. to two when I was elected. Um, Democratic women uh, are, are percentage-wise in their caucuses are, are more represented, certainly, uh, than, than Republican women are in the Utah legislature. And, um, and, and so I've been in these spaces where, uh, you know, the, the perspectives are a little bit lopsided. I used to think that it didn't matter if a man or a woman was in office, that what mattered was their beliefs, their principles, um, and, and those things are very important. But it did not take me very long to realize, once I was elected, that perspective and life experience also matter a great deal. Uh, we may be looking at the same problems and, and seeing them in different ways or, or deciding um, different ways to uh, address those problems. Um, I liken it to walking around with one eye open. When, when we're making policy simply from, you know, a male perspective, which is really how policies have been made largely um, throughout history, uh, it, it's not that you know, the, the way that one side sees it as wrong or bad, it's just not complete. So you're walking around with one eye open, you're seeing what's there, uh, but you're not seeing the complete picture until you have both eyes open. And we've got to have women and men involved in these decisions that affect everybody in society. And and it, it's in every situation, I've seen it over and over and over when it, either tax policy or, um, you know, family leave type policies, these are things that have to have uh, two perspectives. It's really important to have that input. So that's the message that I send to women. Their perspective, their voices matter. They are. Uh, they have a unique perspective and one that's very valuable. And we can't make good public policy without their perspective. In that quote, I quoted you at the beginning of the program where you're challenging women to get involved, become leaders in government business in our communities. And you said uh, we don't just need these women leaders uh, as experts on women's issues. We need them because their voices are necessary you know, at all levels. I wonder if you could t- talk a bit about that. Well, yeah. So, so I'll bring tax policy up again. Um, when I was very first elected to the Senate, you know, I was with a group of, of freshmen uh, legislators, both senators and representatives, who were uh, we were given some training before we took our oaths of office. And one of the things that we were told is, "Look, you guys are freshmen. They know you just are coming off a campaign. Don't don't get in there and and just." start talking and, and uh, you know, throwing out your own opinions. Be quiet, listen, learn, which is good advice for anybody. Um, but, but we were so discouraged from speaking up um, that I was afraid to speak up. However, uh, in, one of, in one of our first meetings, um, there were some uh, legislators talking about tax policy, and they were talking about increasing the sales tax on food. Now, this has been an ongoing issue for a lot of years, so this was back in probably the beginning of 2013. And, uh, and, and, you know, it was all, I was the only woman in the room in this conversation. And there was, you know, it just, they were, they were very dismissive about the actual impact um, to the families of the state of Utah of, of increasing the sales tax on food. And I knew I wasn't, you know, technically just supposed to listen, but I couldn't keep quiet. And I, and I, you know, interjected in, in that. And I talked about, um, having the experience of actually going grocery shopping with a calculator. I just said, I, I don't know how many of you in this room have actually had to use a calculator to, to go grocery shopping, but uh, I have. And 
extra sales tax on food means fewer items in my basket for my family. And and that statement um, helped change the dynamic in the room at the time. And I had several several senators come up to me afterward and say, look, that 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 was a meaningful way to put it. Um, they hadn't really considered that before. And so that was my first experience of, of, un- of that, my aha moment of, you know what, M- my perspective as, as a woman, as a mother, um, it, it actually can help shape policy decisions in a way um, that, that wouldn't happen without my, my perspective there at the table. I wonder if you'd uh, tell us about uh, that that step. Big decision. Uh, of course, you got involved in politics. Uh, we're helping with Jason Chaffetz's campaign. I'm, I'm sure other things. What what uh, tell us about when you decided to actually run for office? Well, it, it came. Uh, we got a new Senate seat in South Utah County, where I live. I live in Spanish Fork. Um, through the last redistricting that happened ten years ago, uh, so there was a brand new Senate seat in in South Utah County, and because of the experiences that I'd had. Um, volunteering and then working uh, for Jason um, after he was elected, I had made a lot of those political connections. I had been involved in the legislative process. I knew how it worked. I knew how uh, how people went about getting elected. I had, um, you know, I'd learned a lot through that experience. I'd also been um, public speaking, uh, doing a lot of engagements on his behalf. And so I had kind of uh, built up my skills, so to speak. And so when that opportunity became available, when that door opened, I was ready to walk through it. Now, I almost didn't. I almost didn't walk through it. I had decided to run, and then I had decided I was not going to run. I was, I, it, was, it was a scary decision. And one of the, the biggest factors, of course, is, is money. And I think that that's something that holds uh, many women back. They may be, um, you know, worrying about having to um, raise money and maybe not being able to raise the, 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 the right amount of money to, to be able to be competitive. Um, and so that, that was, you know, one of those things that I, that, that, you know, made me think twice and I almost didn't run, um, and then, uh, got some encouragement from, from some people and decided to go ahead and do it. Um, and I'm glad I did. I, I'm very glad I did. It was a, a terrifying experience for me. Of course, it's, it's, it's nerve wracking for anybody. Um, but, uh, you know, looking back, um, looking at, at the experiences that, helped me, you know, lead up to that, that place. Uh, Ben Franklin has a, there's a, there's a quote from Ben, from Benjamin Franklin. It's either Benjamin Franklin or anyway, there's a quote from someone (laughs) famous and he's, it's, it's, um, uh, opportunity is often missed because it comes dressed in overalls and looks like hard work. So, uh, and, and I, I think about that a lot because what got me prepared to run and be successful running was a lot of hard work, um, a lot of stretching out of my com- comfort zone. And, um, and you know, and I'm glad I did those things. I'm glad I worked for a year for free, um, you know, building skills uh, that, that I didn't have before. Um, but uh, it, all of that prepared me to, to walk through the door um, when that opportunity came. And, and then, you know, eight years later, uh, was asked to join uh, then Lieutenant Governor Cox um, as his running mate for Lieutenant Governor as he was running for governor. And, and, and again, these experiences that I'd had um, led me to the, the place where I was in a position to, to say yes to that sort of an opportunity. It was never something that I had planned out from the beginning. 
We're talking with Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson. Um, we're talking about some of her experiences, challenges women face in running for office, uh, talking about women in politics uh, today. Uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with more with the Lieutenant Governor following this. Congratulations to Teresa Jordan, the winner of the 2022 UPR Art Mug Contest. You can take a look at Teresa's winning hummingbird painting at upr.org. And then don't forget to tune in during the spring member drive so you can pick up a mug featuring Teresa's design. Starting March 26th, we'll have those mugs available on our upr.org donate page. We also want to thank all of the incredibly talented and creative artists who submitted to the contest this year. Thank you so much. Support for Utah Public Radio comes from our members and utahhumanities.org, improving communities through active engagement with the humanities. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, coming up uh, in the second half of the program, we'll be talking with the hosts of the Real Women Run podcast. Our overall uh, topic is women in politics. Right now, we're talking with Utah Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson. Uh, we, we talked uh, just before the break about her decision to run for the Utah State Senate. And of course, uh, from there, uh, she's become uh, our Lieutenant Governor. Um, and she is, uh, she's issued a challenge to women to, to get involved. We, we need your voices, uh, she says. Um, so, Lieutenant Governor Anderson, I, I'm very struck and, and moved by your... You've talked openly about your concerns. I guess you could even call them fears that uh, uh, people would find out you you'd hadn't got your degree, right? Uh, this was a concern yeah. to you. Uh, I wonder if you'd uh, talk about um, the point where that resolved I you there was a point where you decided I'm not the only woman who had to put my life on my education on hold right there are many other women who had to right. do this uh, talk about that maybe well um, so so as I mentioned I, I, I dropped out of school after my freshman year to, to get my husband through school and then you know was busy with uh, raising little kids and um, when I got elected to the the Senate, and, and I had I had taken some you know classes here and there, just some continuing education type classes, independent study. Um, but when I was elected to the Senate, uh, there was this um, ongoing conversation in the public space about how how much of a problem it is for women. You know, women keep going to college and then dropping out before they finish their degrees. And at the time, it was just really a a, a hot topic. And I would always shrink in those rooms and think, oh, my gosh, you know, they're talking about me and they don't even know it. And it, it was really a, a source of shame. Now, I never I didn't openly talk about it unless someone asked me if someone asked me, of course, I, you know, I would be open about it and and um, and had my, you know, the talking points, I guess, so to speak. Um, but I was always worried that it would hurt me. I knew that there were men in the legislature that hadn't had their degree, that didn't finish their degrees, but it didn't seem, nobody seemed to care about that. And um, in 2014, I went back to, um, I, I took a class, a political science class on campus at BYU. It was the first time I'd been back on campus since um, the early, the mid-90s. And um, and during, uh, you know, I just finished my second legislative session, so I was a state senator, and uh, the political science department came in the class one day. It was a big class. They came in the class to talk about um, legislative internship opportunities. And when they're talking about this, I realized with just horror that I didn't qualify to be my own intern. And I was so 
appalled by that. And I also thought it was really just funny in a bad way, um, ridiculous, right, that I could be the, the state senator but not be the state senator's intern. Um, but that was one. That was the point where I thought, you know what, I'm not the only person who's had to put my own um, ambitions and education opportunities on the back burner to support uh, my, you know, my family. Uh, there are a lot of people in this position, and I'm done being ashamed of it. I'm done hiding from it or or hoping that someone doesn't bring it up. And so from that moment on, I decided to be very vocal about it. I decided that I was going to. Um, start working on my degree. I didn't know how long it would take me to finish it, um, but but I would start working on it, and and I would stop um, stop not talking about it. Um, in 2019, I finally decided uh, to to go back in earnest. I thought, you know what, time is going to pass anyway, and I'm going to make it count. So I might as well, um, you know, just go you know full bore. And I did. I, I went back um, full time. It's pretty tough being in the legislature and doing that. Uh, you're pretty limited, especially at Brigham University, where I, where I was attending. Um, they, they didn't have a lot of, you know, online options or flexibility uh, for for a very non-traditional student such as myself. Um, but then in 2020, when the pandemic hit, it was actually really, really good for me um, because a lot of the stuff that I needed ended up being put online, and it, it provided the flexibility that I needed as I was still in the state senate. Uh, we were constantly coming back into special session to, to work on pandemic legislation. I was running a statewide campaign for a lieutenant governor with with uh, with Spencer Cox, and um, and and that gave me the flexibility I needed to, to be able to to finish up a bunch of classes. And then last year, as as lieutenant governor, um, I ended up doing an, an internship in the lieutenant <laughs> governor's office um, a year ago, and uh, you know I I enrolled, you know, for the for the semester. I paid my tuition. I, I signed up for an internship. Spencer Cox was my internship supervisor. I, I did all the papers and the projects um, and, and, uh, and, and got some credit for that. And then I went, uh, did full-time classes in, in the summer term and, uh, and finished up a, a couple of courses and, and actually graduated on December 17th with my bachelor degree in history. Oh, wonderful. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. So uh, this made this made national press. You, you leaned into it, right? Tweeted about it and made national press that you were your own intern. Um, we just have a couple minutes left. Now we have to let you go. Um, so I want to move to advice. What would be the top uh, you know bullet points of advice you would give to to women and girls considering uh, going into politics? Well, I, I would say do it. Your your voice is needed. Now there is a, there are a lot of different ways to go about having an influence in in your government, in your communities, in your state, in your nation. And it's not a one size fits all deal. And and you may not be able to do it exactly when you want to, but there will be a time if you want to do this that that you can do it. Um, and uh, and I would also say embrace other women. Um, too often we have this mentality of scarcity for, for women. When there's only one or two women at the table, uh, we feel like that's all that can be at the table sometimes. And, and, and I've seen that uh, with some women in, in public positions where it, it's almost like 
they don't they don't want other women to to be there because then maybe they don't think they can be there. And I feel like we need to have this mentality of abundance. Um, there's plenty of room at the table, and we need to to lift each other up and and grasp hands and be at the table together uh, and and help each other succeed. And I think when we do that, we all succeed. Um, and the last thing I would say is definitely uh, don't let your own insecurities and fears hold you back. You you have to learn, you have to grow, but it takes effort and it takes experience to do that. You have to, as you said, you have to lean in to the opportunities that come your way. You have to uh, make sure that you aren't um, letting fear get in the way or stop you uh, from from expressing um, your views, from sharing your voice, because your voice and your perspective are desperately needed. We need you, your community needs you, your state needs you, your country needs you. Well, we have been talking with Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson. We're talking about women in politics. And uh, Lieutenant Governor Henderson, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue this discussion uh, with the hosts of the Real Women Run podcast, which highlights Utah women serving in municipal and county government. Hope you stay with us following the break. This is Science by the Slice. When the Human Genome Project was declared complete in 2003, scientists celebrated bits of DNA coded for proteins, but many dismissed the importance of non-coded DNA, terming it as junk DNA. Since that time, the scientific community has acknowledged that those indecipherable genomic sequences aren't junk at all. USU scientists Anna Figgins and Karen Kapheim are exploring the role of small non-coding RNA in bumblebees, which they say may help explain the genetic mechanisms underlying bees' social behavior. This segment of Science by the Slice is brought to you by the USU College of Science, offering degree programs in the sciences and mathematics. Details at usu.edu science. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. We're talking about women in politics uh, in the first half of the program. Hope you were with us. We talked with Utah Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson. Now we'll transition to talking with the hosts of the Real Women Run podcast, which highlights uh, Utah women serving in municipal and uh, county government. Just launched uh, earlier this year, and they've got several episodes up and available. Uh, so we welcome in the the uh, co-hosts, uh, Yandere Chatwin, uh, first of all. Uh, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And Nina Barnes is with us as well. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Let me, uh, so Yandere Chatwin, I'll start with you. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. So um, I just finished a term as chair of Real Women Run, and I was super excited to be able to do that. Um, I live in Salt Lake County. I'm currently the, serving my county as the vice chair of the redistricting commission, um, but I work in government relations and communications during the day. So I, I think about women in office all the time, whether it's in my personal endeavors or, or for work, and I'm, I'm really excited that we're talking about this because I want to see more women elected. And Nina Barnes, tell me a bit about yourself. Yeah, I, I, I've lived in southern Utah for the last 27 years. Um, just been civically engaged uh, most of my life and currently am the vice chair of the Utah Board of Higher Education. And uh, just 
an advocate for all things about women. I adjunct uh, a class at SUU every other year in identity politics. And shocking, I'm uh, just barely uh, decided to run to um, take on an incumbent in my district for House District 73. So uh, when we did the podcast, they didn't know that, and I'm back in the arena uh, practicing what <laughs> Preach. All right, yeah, put put uh, put in in practice. I, I'd like I'd like to uh, continue this kind of personal discussion before we get into the podcast. So, Yandere Chatwin, um, what uh, what drew you into into politics and specifically into uh, helping women run for office and, and real women run? Oh my goodness! So <laughs> this is going to be kind of funny, but when I was nine, I had a Sunday school teacher. Uh, her name was Nancy Bruff, and I grew up in Riverdale in Weber County, and Nancy was the only woman on our city council at the time. And she took a group of us little nine-year-old girls to City Hall and talked to us about what she did, and she told us that it's so important for women to be involved. She said not enough women are doing it, and each of us had an important voice we needed to bring to the table. And honestly, nine years old, that left an impression <laughs> That's where I started. As soon as I was old enough in high school, I got involved in youth city government, and I just feel like I just have always been interested from from that point onward. Um, and she's right. We we need to hear from everybody's voices. We don't hear from enough enough women or other marginalized groups, and it's really important that people get involved. So there's an example of the importance of uh, women, you know, talking to girls about this. I guess. Um, uh, so, uh, Nina Barnes. So you've you made the decision to to jump in. Uh, talk to me about that decision. What, what what are your concerns, and what and what's drawing you to do this? Yeah. Well, I'll I'll jump back to when I first decided to run for city council in a small rural community, Cedar City. And the reason is a, a young mom of four young children and lots of friends in that same um, space. Uh, we realized there were a lot of complaints. We didn't have playgrounds in our community for our children, and yet we professed to be such a family-oriented community. And we rallied together. I was the general coordinator, and we rallied. Actually, 10,000 people helped build this park discovery, this amazing grassroots community-built playground. And it really started just because the lack of a playground in our community. And after that project, I realized that voice was missing. I, I went all the way to my city council, my county commissioners, my state senator, up to the president of the United States, and I didn't see one female there. And I thought, how can they know we don't have playgrounds? You know, they're all at work. And so I decided to get engaged and have that voice be present in any committee or board or elected position I've served in. What were the were, were there were there barriers for you running for office that maybe weren't there for men? Oh, sure. I really enjoyed listening uh, to Lieutenant Governor speak earlier about some of those barriers. Some of the things that were said to her were the same things that were said. They were very concerned about who would watch my children and all the other um, things. How could I possibly do this? Um, but I also turned it as an advantage that I had an opportunity to teach my colleagues and the males around me how to collaborate. And um, they became some of my dearest friends and best champions as you win them over, because most people serving in public office are good people. They just haven't had the experience to, to have that other lens or perspective as they make decisions and set budgets. Uh, Yandere Chapman, tell me about Real Women Run. What, uh, what does the organization do? What are the goals? So our goal is to get more women involved in the political process, whether they're running for office, joining a border commission. We want to make sure they know how to get involved. And so what we do is we provide training 
uh, pre-pandemic, we held in-person trainings. During the pandemic, we are starting to provide um, these trainings in other ways. We've done webinars. We now have this podcast. But really, our goal is to make this more accessible. When people think of running for office, it feels like a daunting process, not just to take it on in their family, but also, like, literally how. Like, where do you go to file for office? What, what paperwork do you need? How do, how do you get money? We do everything we can to teach women how to do these things, how to create a field plan, how to recruit volunteers, how to hone your messaging. Um, and we hope that by doing that, we're making this just a little bit easier and taking a load off their plates. So uh, I want to play a little bit. This is just about a minute. This is the uh, promotional announcement, you might say, for for Real Women Run uh, podcast. Here's, here's this announcement. Chatwin. And I'm Nina Barnes. We're the hosts of the new Real Women Run podcast, and this season we're taking you across Utah and introducing you to some of the amazing women serving in municipal government in our state. We're going behind the scenes with women from Logan to St. George to learn about the work they are doing as mayors, council members, county clerks, and more. Whether you're interested in running for office or you just want to better understand the ins and outs of local government, this is the podcast for you. So buckle up and come along with us. We can't wait to get started. So Real Women Run podcast. So we're talking about talking with the uh, the hosts of the uh, podcast, Yandere Chatwin and uh, Nina Barnes. So Nina Barnes, uh, had you done podcasting before? What was the experience like? Um, it was it was a great experience. It was so comfortable working with Yandere. Was just a pleasure, and we had a fantastic producer. And it was really exciting for me because we have conversations we typically, as women, don't have publicly. I I know in my career I probably haven't always felt safe to really dive in and talk specifically about gender and what that feels like to be in public office. We, we kind of toughen up and we plug along and, you know, we, we play an arena where we didn't really make the rules and we're the minorities. But it was really enlightening to see how many women um, navigate the same barriers and have some of the same um, experiences and how they get there. So I really, really enjoyed being in that space. I, I, there's an appetite and an energy across the state to have this engagement. And so I'm just so happy to be part of it and to really utilize what I see as half of Utah's human capacities are, are females that are ready to be engaged wherever they are in whatever way. And we as a, a state need to figure out how to get them engaged in at the table. Yeah, Andrew Chapman, are, are there some themes that, that, that all these women are, are talking about, uh, that, that kind of a uh, through line through, through all the episodes? Yeah, so one of my favorite things about the interviews we did was how vulnerable these women got. They told us about their, their anxieties about running, about feeling inadequate, like they didn't have enough experience, um, and that was, that was a constant theme. And the other one is that a lot of them had to have multiple people ask them and invite them and encourage them to run. These women are not just qualified, but some of them overqualified, and they still felt like they didn't have what it, what it takes. And research shows us that women, they have to have that nudge, and it takes, I think, something like seven times being asked to run for office before most women actually ever consider it. So we, we saw that anecdotally, and we know the research supports that as well. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, um, Nutter Barnes, did, uh, did you feel that? Did you feel, uh, I don't know if it took seven times to, to, to nudge yeah. you, to, 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 but did you feel that vulnerability? I, I did. I, I, it, it was it was amazing to see um, these elected officials because they're going to be back in races. They're going to have contenders. You know, their political uh, story is not written, and yet really to identify some of these barriers. And hopefully we construct it in a way that helps all of us, males and females, work together and collaborate and complement each other. So I certainly have seen that. I obviously, as I mentioned before, teach this class. The research backs it. Um, you know, we live in a state where, you know, the, the saying, you can't, you can't be it if you can't see it. Um, so many women haven't, you know, lived in a community where they have seen it. I mean, that's, I think, why the lieutenant governor's role is so critical in what the governor did in, in intentionally placing um, someone of her caliber in that position is we all can see it. I grew up seeing Olene Walker, but she's the only one I ever saw. And so this space, and the same with boards and commissions. Uh, when I was first put on the board, at that time, the Board of Regents, I had the chair uh, pull me aside and say, just remember, there are only three out of 16 men regents. There were three. And it was something we never talked about. But I absolutely knew in every conversation that, that I had a powerful voice that needed to contribute because the percentage of representation was so low. Yandere Chapman, is, is there someone uh, among those you've interviewed who especially stands out? recorded I was pregnant with my second son <laughs> um, and so I, I related a lot listening to Salt Lake City Council member Ana Valdemoros because she had been pregnant and had her baby um, during her, her current term in office and in a pandemic no less. <laughs> so I appreciated hearing uh, women who, who had similar life experiences to me and that that wasn't something that held her back from giving back to her community. Mm-hmm. It was really something I admire. Nana Barnes, um, you, there's an episode that stood out to me. Um, in this episode, you have uh, former Cedar City Mayor uh, Maylee Wilson-Edwards and Hilldale Mayor Donia Jessup. Uh, it struck me, uh, Maylee, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Maylee Wilson-Edwards. It's um, my. Uh, my. Is it my leap? Okay, uh, yeah. thank you. Um, she says that she, she'd be at an event with her mother, and they'd say, hey, we have a new female uh, mayor, and they would assume it's her mom. So you got not only gender, but uh, age, <laughs> uh, you yeah. know, stereotypes going on. Yeah, that, that's such an interesting, that, that situation is particularly close, uh, near and dear to me, because I actually was leaving the city council and knew it wasn't a time to run or it wasn't the timing that uh, Lieutenant Governor talked about is real for women. I had five children at the time, and and this is when Miley steps up, and it was uh, the adjustment of that community to really look at a candidate's age and gender and, and see them as the leader and how she became such an amazing leader of that community for eight years was really interesting. But, but that was actually from the minute she applied uh, to be a candidate, through she she experienced that but these are the barriers we're trying to to change and to break down and to identify and she says uh Maylee wilson edwards she says that uh men more than women tend to have uh, built-in networks uh and, and encourage each other i guess that's part of the reason for real woman run right uh, to have access to networks yeah and i i would say that's magnified in the friend network but also the fundraising that is just such a huge barrier contributing to, you know, women's campaigns, women asking for donations, selling themselves. These are all 
huge barriers for women, and we have to identify them. So, Yandri Chatwin, um, role models are especially important, right? Um, um, Miley uh, Wilson-Edwards says, uh, uh, I think this is her, uh, she would uh, go into classrooms, the kid would say, you don't look like what we see on TV, right? So you have to change those, have to change those images, have to change the dreams, I guess. It's true, and that's part of the reason we did this podcast. Telling these women's stories uh, will help other people, other women who are like them, to think and see that they too can run for office. They too can make a contribution in their community, and you don't have to fit a certain profile of of what you may be seeing. Like Nina said, you have to see it to be able to believe you can do it too. Um, and so we're we're hoping that sharing these stories and these women's experiences um, will help bring others into the process too. Linda Barnes uh, on this uh, on this podcast I've been referring to you also interview uh, uh, Donia Jessup, uh, first female mayor of Hilldale. Understand uh, first not to be endorsed by the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Uh, t- tell me a bit about uh, about her. Well, her story is wonderful. I know Yandri and I both love to talk about that. But being in Southern Utah. Um, we, we particularly love his story because she showed up at the very first training we did about five years ago in southern Utah, and she had barely put in her name to run. And another woman was running. It was overwhelming. Her best friend, Shirley Draper, was right there encouraging her. And so it was just kind of this crazy idea that became a reality in her story showing up at city offices the first day and being locked out. And then also watching her story till now. We've interviewed, and she and I have done some things together in the last year. And and this powerful leader she has become in that community and the healing that she has led in that community is tremendous. And we feel like she's one of our own shining Real Women Run alums. Um, so one of the episodes, um, you talk about Utah's first all-female town council in uh, in Kanab. Uh, Yandere Chapman, you want to talk about about that? Yeah, that is a historic a historic um, marker. We we really wanted to make sure people knew about, and so we spoke with the mayor of Helper, um, who has the closest thing right now, an almost all-female council and a female mayor, and it's incredible to see to see shifts like that happening. Hopefully those those won't be so noteworthy because of how being how rare they are and hopefully we'll be able to see more of that and um it won't be such a big deal when a woman gets elected to a particular office. Do you so uh do you think think obviously things have changed over time did um you know more women running for office but um Obviously, not where you would like it, Yandere Chapman. What? Uh, how, how do? How do you get there? By by doing the work that we're we're doing, and we need more people to to help us spread the word. I think having these women be so vulnerable on our podcast and sharing their personal experiences, I'm hoping that that really will touch a lot of people, um, and will help them see that their own life experience has already has already prepared them. Um, as we've we've gone through events and trainings for Real Women Run, we very frequently talk to women who, uh, you know, the average person would deem overqualified for running for office, but they feel like they haven't done enough. Or I've had conversations with women who have chosen to be stay-at-home moms who feel like that experience doesn't translate into public office, but my goodness, like, do you know anyone who can get things done as well as a PTA mom who has five kids that she's juggling and a household she's managing? Um, I tell you, we could use a lot more of that in public office. 
Nana Barnes, um, what about women in, in rural areas? Is, is there a lag? Are, are, are women running in similar numbers in rural areas as in urban areas? Oh, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, it's been really interesting. I mentioned five years ago when we did, did our first event where we even acknowledged or talked about um, how disproportionate gender representation was and where it's come. This last election, seven of the Washington County mayors are now female. We have the female candidates running for city councils winning. So it is changing, but we have to identify that in nonpartisan races, we see the greatest change. But when we look at our community or Southern Utah, as far as any county and state representation, there's still a lot of work to do. Um, and, and, you know, when you get into partisan, particularly in the Republican Party, there is a lot of work to do. Um, the House has 58, I believe, uh, Republican House members, and 10 are female. So you see what that ratio looks like. So there's a lot of work still to do in that level. Yeah. yeah Andrew Chatwin, you said, remind me, uh, you're, you're involved with Elections Board. What? Uh, did, did <laughs> the get County that Redistricting Commission. The Redistricting Commission. Um, so that's a part of it, right? Uh, that's. Uh, I don't think you run for that. Were you appointed to that? Yes, that's an appointment. Uh, there's an application process, and then the County Council appointed folks to that commission. Um, so that's... But you have to, I guess you have to be networked in, you have to be known to people to get appointed to, to these things. That, that's another way that women can get involved, right? Yeah, it definitely is. And I would say that don't let not having a network, not knowing people hold you back. Uh, I, w- the application process is, is open to, to anybody, and you have skills that you can contribute. And so make sure that, you, that you're taking a chance and going for these opportunities because your voice is important. And... And I know Nina feels as passionately as I do about about this issue, and perhaps even more so in her particular role. So I, I'm going to give her a moment to add something about joining boards and commissions and how important that is. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we again, I'll refer to the earlier interview. Um, just how important it is. A real women run is not about you have to run for office. It's get engaged in the political process, get engaged on boards and commissions, so many women and men, but women volunteer in this state. They have amazing talent, and we've kind of made a safe place, you know, church and PTA, but branch out from them, and those are wonderful places to lead. But the whole state needs us to lean in and influence boards and commissions, um, appointments, whatever it may be, even sometimes even jobs, wherever you are, and build the confidence in your space that you are a valuable leader who can tr- contribute. And I think that will prepare you for the next step of understanding there is a space for you. And when you're high quality, and I'll I'll tell you, I did a cereal bar at my local high school with the PTA this morning at 7. And I actually said this to the group. Every one of you could be running for office. They're exceptional leaders. And they may not see it in themselves now, but how how does Real Women Run help develop that? How does that translate to getting involved and making our state a better place? Do you see changes in how young women and girls are looking at this versus, uh, you know, uh, older generations? Definitely. In the interview with um, former Mayor Wilson Edwards, she even talked about how in the eight years she'd been serving as mayor, she has already seen a shift that more women are 
are putting their names forward. More women are getting involved um, at every level in her city. And so I think societally that's changing and women's perspectives are, are incredibly needed. One, one an interview that really stood out was Sherry Swenson. She's the Salt Lake County clerk, and she is phenomenal. She has been serving since 1991, and shortly after she got elected, um, she had to perform a marriage ceremony between a 14-year-old girl and a 56-year-old man. At that point in time, there was no court process. No, there, there was hardly any barrier for a 14-year-old to get married. Um, and so in her first term, she worked with the state legislature to make some changes to, to protect these young, these young people. Um, she said had she not been in that, in that role, she wouldn't have even known that this, this was happening. Um, and her lens as, as a mother of, uh, of two children um, made her feel a protective instinct for this 14-year-old, and she did something about it. This had been on the books in Utah for years. Uh, but it took a woman in office to actually do something about it. Mm, yeah, it's amazing. Um, so I'm going to quote uh, Dr. Susan Madsen, the Utah Women in Leadership uh, Project, USU. Um, she says, female political candidates win elections at the same rate as men, but women avoid running for office for a number of reasons, gender socialization, lower political aspirations, lack of support and encouragement. And uh, some of the things that women say uh, that the process is too nasty, too mean, too confrontive, too intrusive. Uh, Nana Barnes, you, you, uh, you hear that? I don't know if you feel those things before you ran for office or during. Well, since I have to disclose, since I'm currently running for office, um, yes, I, I have felt these before, and they have come back. They're they're alive and well. Some of those sentiments. I'm really grateful for the experience I've had and. Um, and the many, many opportunities I've had to be civically engaged for the last 25-plus years, I think has really prepared me to be here. But it's still an uncomfortable space, and I still am recognizing um, some of that behavior, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, being in rural Utah, and some of the protections that my male um, you know, opponents enjoy, and that I don't, as a Republican— you know, in our party, there's still a lot of work to do. Women in the Republican Party have been tremendous supporters and encouragers and campaigners. But it is very different when they step into the space of actually, you know, campaigning and, and being a candidate. So I hope to break down those barriers and navigate them. Um, you know, we haven't had anyone from Southern Utah uh, in a House position. And there's actually two females running in Washington County at the time, and it's going to be very, very interesting, but also exciting, and I'm having a mm-hmm. great time. We'll just have a couple of minutes left, I mean, a minute each. So, Yandere Chatwin, um, at the end here, I'd like to get some uh, your advice to, to women considering running. Do it, um, <laughs> and don't let the naysayers hold you back. I also think something the lieutenant governor said in her interview was was crucial, that women need to, we need to support each other. Um, we need to be those networks for each other. And um, someone running for office doesn't take away your opportunity. There's, there's plenty of offices to run for, and it's important for all of us to stand by each other. And so I, I would encourage women to just go for it. Um, and when you see a friend, another woman who's running, 
support her, um, walk with her, volunteer for her, donate to her, connect her to other people, and talk about her to the people you know. And that's how we're going to help each other to get elected, by standing together when, when one of us is putting herself forward. Nana Barnes, we'll give you the last word. What, what's your advice? Well, there you go. Thank you. My advice is um, not just as Yandri so, spoke to women, but also to our male allies. Some of my greatest champions, even till today, are, are the male allies who have seen the value of sitting on a council or a board or a committee together alongside, or in the Senate, alongside women. And that as Utahns, we complement each other and we represent our constituents in the state better. We are both there and we value that. So a huge shout out to male allies who are actually listening and leaning in on this, but mostly a nudge to whoever's listening and engaged in this work of improving Utah that this is the personal nudge for you to, you know, after the podcast, leave or the, the show today and get engaged and figure out ways to lean in and support and champion others and make sure we have better representation in the state of Utah. We've been talking with uh, the hosts of the Real Women Run podcast, Yandere Chatwin and Nina Barnes. Uh, that podcast uh, has several episodes up. You can access those uh, wherever you get your podcasts and uh, more episodes, I assume, to come. Yes, we're looking forward to another season. We'll be able to maybe go at a state level or Yandre, other options that we've discussed. Okay. Well, uh, Nadia Barnes, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And Yandere Chatwin, thank you so much. Thank you so much for allowing us space. Have a great day. You too. And our thanks to Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson for joining us in the first half of the program. And thanks to you for listening to Access Utah. The gender wage gap is the difference between what women and men earn for performing full-time year-round paid work. In Utah, women earn approximately 30% less than men, ranking close to last in most state comparisons. The Utah Women in Leadership Project published a research snapshot on the gender wage gap in Utah. I'm Dr. Susan Madsen, founding director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project. And in this next podcast episode, we explore some of the highlights of the report. Listen now at upr.org. UPR is a statewide member-supported service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSU-FM Logan, KCEU-Price, KUST-Moab, KUSL-Richfield, KUSK-Vernal, KUSR-Logan. Also heard at upr.org or on the UPR app. Thank you.